passage comes from Luke 6, verses 1 through 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Oh, well, let me add a good morning to you as well. My name is Tim, and I serve as, as one of the pastors here. We're glad you're with us, and let me pray before we jump into that text. Father God, every week I come in uh, to, to speak your word with, just with a burden. First, that I would, I would actually believe the gospel and live out of it. But obviously for all of us that that would be true. Uh, but God, you know my heart. This morning I have, a, I have a unique burden. This text, I think, has something unique for us in our day. Um, and anytime that's true, it's a, it's a problem. Because we can, God, we can, it's easy for a preacher to make a sermon about himself. Um, and I don't want to do that. I want to point to this promise, this gift of the Sabbath that Jesus talks about in this passage. God, would you open our eyes to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several months ago, I instituted, uh, along with my wife, obviously, uh, a new practice into our family, which was the Sabbath. Uh, we followed the typical Jewish custom. We lit a candle on Friday night, which is when it begins for us. I turned my phone off. I turned my computer off. No social media screens, internet for 24 hours. We asked our boys, what would make this special to you? You can have any breakfast that you want. I will make you anything. Chocolate chip pancakes, French toast, you name it, it's yours. And all they wanted was sprinkles in their oatmeal. <laughs> so we did it. Sabbath sprinkles all over their oatmeal. It was a day of rest, of celebration, of joy, of slowing down. Let me just tell you, after a few months of instituting this practice into my life, it has been awful. <laughs> My phone wanted me to pick it up continually. The idea of disconnecting from the internet for 24 hours seemed unrealistic. I always had something to search, something to do, something to get done. I forgot to do something for work ahead of Sunday morning, so I'd drop into my email really quick, and 30 minutes later, when I'm done with all of my email, I'm back to the Sabbath. I find myself worrying, am I, am I doing this right with my kids? Am I spending enough time with them? Am I present enough with them? I just find myself, I found myself worried, anxious about my work, my kids, my heart. 
24 hours of rest has never been so exhausting. (laughs) And my experience is probably like yours. In 2018, a study was done that found 40% of Americans say they are more anxious than they were the year before. And I've quoted that study probably about six times in the last eight weeks, so you you should know this by now. And the other uh, 60% of people, 40%, said they were the same level of anxious as the year before, and only 20% of people said they were less anxious in an economy that's basically doing really well. In what I would say is the the most wealthy uh, culture, country that's probably ever existed, why are we so anxious? Those are astonishing numbers. And philosophers, psychologists, sociologists, all the, all the ologists, they're all trying to figure out what is going on with this incredible burnout, hurry, anxiousness, exhaustion our culture is experiencing. And one philosopher, he's a German uh, philosopher, he's Korean, but born and lives in Germany. Uh, do not check my pronunciation of this name, uh, Byung-Chul Han. Uh, he wrote a book for Stanford called The Burnout Society, and this was his kind of his opening, uh, his opening argument, his opening quote, he writes this. Neurological illnesses such as depression, ADHD, borderline personality disorder, and burnout syndrome mark the landscape of pathology at the beginning of the 21st century. They are not infections, but infractions. They do not follow from the negativity of what is immunologically foreign, but from an excess of positivity. Now let me translate that into English. What he's saying is our exhaustion, our anxiousness, our burnout, our hurry, to some extent our depression, although obviously that's also a different, there's a different category for that as well, but some of our depression that we see increased in great amounts in our own day is not something that's, that's being done to us, right? It's not immunologically foreign. It's not outside forces coming into us. We are doing this to ourselves, according to Han. With the pace in life and abuse of our schedules, we are bringing all of these things into our lives. So we're in a series now through the Gospel of Luke. We've we've called Rediscovering Jesus because I got to this place in my life where I recognized I know Jesus in his story so well that I do not know Jesus in his story anymore. And I don't want us to be a community that, that does that to Jesus. I want to go back with fresh eyes and look at his life, his practice, his teaching, who he was. And one of the things in going back to his life was, and, and reading through the Gospel of Luke um, several times over the last several months, something I missed again and again and again, and never saw until the last few months, was that one of the central ways that Jesus got himself killed was his view of the Sabbath. This is one of the things that angered people the most. And what's clear about that in verse 11 of Luke chapter 6, what Joseph read for us, when we read they were filled with fury, that, actually, that, that word is a, a word for madness. They lost their minds. They are so angry about how Jesus talks about the Sabbath, they actually are mentally out of their minds. Why? How does something like the Sabbath get Jesus killed? And I just want to make the case, there's an intersection between my own failed attempts to practice the Sabbath in this passage. There's an intersection between our anxiety, our hurry, our pathological busyness, and this passage. And the question I want us to wrestle through this morning is, will our culture of hurry lead us to reject Jesus? Will our own culture of hurry, like their culture, 
cause us to reject Jesus. So to think about that two-point sermon, which is probably going to be longer than a three-point sermon. Uh, first, the Sabbath, the Sabbath undermines our way of life. And Jesus' conversation over the Sabbath here, it feels very different and foreign than the culture I just described to you, our culture of, of hurry. And it, it feels foreign, but it's actually, it's not. Um, it, it's very similar to ours, but it's going to take me a minute to set that up. And so just come with me. Let me explain what they're doing so that I can hopefully show you actually we're doing the same thing. So what's issue, at issue here is that the religious leaders of the day of Jesus saw the Sabbath as a very important command. It's in Genesis, it's in the Ten Commandments, it's all through the Hebrew Bible, it's very important. So they wanted to practice it. And, and so to practice it correctly, the Pharisees had 39 categories of things that you could not do in order to make sure you were keeping the commandment of the Sabbath. 39. And we get two of them here. The first rule uh, we see in verses 1 and 2. And so on a Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you, do, you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And what's important is, this isn't, that's not a command in the Old Testament, in the Bible, that Jesus is breaking. It's one of the 39 things the Pharisees say you cannot do on the Sabbath. And it's pretty clear, like, Jesus, he's, like, he's violating their rules on purpose. It's, not, it's almost like he's like, He's around the Pharisees, he picks a piece of grain, he rubs it together in front of him, he pops it in his mouth, and he's like, mmm, delicious. <laughs> or maybe that's just me, because I'm super snarky. But that's, he's clearly like going right after their own rule here. But this, that's because this rule, it doesn't, it's not in the Bible. It's one of their own 39 rules. So that's the first rule he goes after. The second rule is, is uh, another rule, which was no healing on the Sabbath. And we see that in the, the second part of... This story, verses 8 through 10. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or destroy it? And I love this. After looking around at them all, he said to them, said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. This is what's interesting, is the Pharisees don't stand back in awe that this man's hand is healed. They lose their mind in anger because Jesus broke one of their 39 rules. Why? And certainly, what, you know, what does that have to do with us? Right? What, why, why, how does this intersect with our own culture of hurry? And the best place to answer that is, is Deuteronomy 5. But the Pharisees are clearly missing the entire point of the Sabbath with their 39 rules. And in Deut Deuteronomy 5, you get what is the second repetition of the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments are repeated to Israel. And what's interesting is, is that in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, in both cases, the longest command, the command with the most words, the most explanation, the most theology behind it, in both cases, is the, is the keep the Sabbath command. Almost as if, like, God knows, do not murder, you get that one. That one's obvious. Do not steal, you get it, right? Do not uh, lie. Okay, we get that. But keep the Sabbath. Jesus, God's like, you're not going to get this. So you need some extra, some extra help. And here's what he, here's what he says, Deuteronomy 5. I'm going I'm to only read part of it. Uh, God says to his people, observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. 
And then skipping down in verse 15. The reason for this is you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. One of the primary justifications for the Sabbath, or one of the primary theological reasons for the Sabbath, God says, is in Egypt you worked seven days a week and you were a slave. But I saved you from that. I redeemed you from that. And with me, God says to his people and to us, with me, you are not slaves. You are free. That's stunning. And then you read Luke 6, and it feels like this is slavery, right? No picking grain on the Sabbath. No healing on the Sabbath. And there's 37 more of those. How did they take a gift of freedom and turn it into slavery? It's the same answer to the question, why was my Sabbath so restless, so difficult? The answer to both why the Pharisees have created their own slavery in light of the Sabbath and why we create a Sabbathless experience, this is the answer to that. I do not trust God that I am free. We do not trust God that we are free. The Pharisees of this day were convinced that if, if they don't perfectly keep the Sabbath, God will be displeased with them. So they create 39 rules to make sure we're do- God is pleased. We're doing it right. This is the right way to do it. No picking grain. No healing. Rules that have nothing to do with the original intent of the Sabbath. It's a creation of their own so that they can know God is pleased with them. And Jesus comes along and just deconstructs that entire way of thinking. They've made themselves religious slaves with rules God never asked them to follow, with expectations God never put on them, taking a gift of a day of rest and making it a burden, making it a place of slavery. And so here's what Jesus says to all that. It's ultimately verse 5, kind of the central uh, orienting idea of this passage that Jesus would say to us is in verse 5, when he looks at the Pharisees and says to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. You have to understand what Jesus is claiming here. He is the Lord, the kurios is the Greek word, of the Sabbath. And if you were to look at all of the instances of that word in Luke 1 through 6, it only refers to one being, God. When Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I am God. But also he's saying, back in Genesis 1 and 2, when God rested on the seventh day, that was me. I am God. And I am the Sabbath. You could not make a more stunning claim to divinity. And it's probably easy for us to think, gosh, how do, you miss, how do you miss this? Jesus is coming saying, I'm rest itself. Come and worship me. Know me. Be close to me. How could they miss this? To have the Sabbath rest in front of them himself and yet trade that in for a life of slavery, of keeping religious rules and regulations. We all like, how could they do this? Because we do this. And I want to meditate on three questions in light of that. Three questions together. The first one is, do we Sabbath from work? Or is work our Sabbath? 
Now, some Christians will respond to this by saying, and some of you will be thinking, listen, Tim, Jesus is the Sabbath. That means we therefore no longer have to practice 24 hours of Sabbath as Christians anymore. And certainly there's some extent to which that's, that's true. We're not Jewish people anymore. We're, we're Christians. But the idea that we don't need a day of rest in a week anymore, I, I don't think works for two reasons. One is the first Sabbath is not a command in the Hebrew Bible. It's in creation. It's the seventh day. God rests from all his work. He steps back after six days of creating and he rests. So unless you figured out something about the order of the universe and creation that God has not figured out yet, this is, like, this is creation rhythm. This isn't a law command. This is creation rhythm. The second is this is, this is wound into our human nature. That after the French Revolution, uh, the French decided for a while, let's try a 10-day week. Work nine days, rest one day. And it was a train wreck. It was a disaster. Production actually went down. Society frayed. People got worn out. It was a terrible disaster. And I would just ask you, do you want to be like the French? (laughs) Don't be like the French. 24 hours every seven days, one day a week, no work. So why is that so hard? And here's the thing. You can even even do that. You can take the 24 hours. It's still going to be hard. At this week, for the first time, the burden of the new building that we're building really began, began to hit me early this week. And I went from feeling pretty excited to feeling really over, overwhelmed. All of the things I needed to do, which, uh, you know, Monday afternoon felt entirely manageable and realistic, suddenly felt suffocating and filled me with anxiety, with pressure. And the reason is because ultimately, and, and this is true for all of us, whatever our vocations are, whether it's raising kids at home, whether it's your work in vocation um, during the week, We're not just working to serve God, and I'm in my own vocation, I'm not just working to serve God and preach the gospel for others. I want to perform for others. I want to look good. I want to use my career, my performance, my work to show to others, to you, to God, I am worthy. But here's the thing. You and I will never get to a point where we'll step back from our work and say, this week I did it. I've done such good work as a pastor that I proved to God, myself, and to the entire creation order and existence, I earned this day off. You will, never get, you will never get there. And here's the question. Does what I just described to you sound like a free person or a slave? Does someone who cannot stop working for 24 hours in a single week to leave messages unreturned, to check out of your email, to not enter into the thought life of work. Someone who's unable to do that. Does that sound like a free person or a slave? That's why I think it's important to take 24 hours each week to Sabbath. The answer, to be clear, is not the tw- it's not the 24 hours. And I'll get to that in a second. It's not about the 24 hours. It's about the person. But without the hours, you'll never get to the person. So that's the first question. Do you, is Sabbath your work? Is your work Sabbath? Is that the thing you're trying to find rest and identity in, or do you Sabbath from work? Second question is, do we Sabbath from entertainment, or is an inter- entertainment our Sabbath? And if I were to come to you this morning and, and begin with this confession, uh, last night I, I binged. You'd be really concerned, unless I told you that I binged a show on Netflix, and then you'd ask, what did you watch? Was it good? <laughs> Should I watch it? That's what we would do. For, for whatever reason, in our own culture, the one acceptable binging is entertainment. 
And studies are increasingly showing that one of our greatest sources of anxiety is our technology and our limitless ability to entertain ourselves. Smartphones, the Netflix queue, this nonstop input of inf information we have coming at us at all times. And so a recent study showed we touch our smartphones on an average of 2,600 times a day. We spend an average of two and a half hours a day on our phone, entertaining, searching, social media. 2.5 hours a day. That's 10% of our lives. And here's the thing. When I became a pastor, I largely became a pastor, so I never had to do math again. But I did some math this week. 2.5 hours per day on social media uh, and, and web uh, browsing on our phone equals about 17 hours. The same time as you would be awake on a day of Sabbath. Our phones are now our Sabbath. Our distraction, our way of escaping. And I'm increasingly convinced that one of the greatest threats to my own spiritual formation is, my, is the in, uh, limitless technology available that I have to myself, whether it's to entertain myself, whether it's to watch a show, whether it's my phone. As a Catholic writer, Ronald Rollheiser writes, we, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. And again, I would ask, does someone who touches their phone 2,600 times a day, does that sound like a free person or a slave? Someone who watches... Hours of entertainment nonstop. Does that sound like a free person or a slave? That every week when I, when I try for 24 hours during my Sabbath, I come face to face with the question, can I sit in silence with God and myself? Or will I distract myself out of the hard questions God wants me to look at about my life, about who I am, about what he's calling me to be? Do you Sabbath from entertainment, or is entertainment your Sabbath? And thirdly and finally, do we Sabbath from performance, or is performance our Sabbath? For those of you who are, are parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles in the room, do the children in your life get a day every week where they are not performing? Where their identity is not in some way rooted to achievement? No schoolwork. No sports activities. Are we teaching them, modeling to them that the good life is found in nonstop performance and you cannot stop because the moment you do, you fall behind? Every day, nonstop, always performing. I recently listened to a podcast about youth sports. Uh, it was Patrick Lencioni's at the Table podcast. And one of the people on it said that when he was a kid, he couldn't wait for game day. And this was true for me when I was growing up. You practiced a couple times in the week, then you got one game at the weekend, and you couldn't wait. It was going to be fun. And now he hears parents and children actively hoping that their team loses the weekend tournament so that they can have rest at home. So I'll ask again, does that sound like a people who are free? Or does that sound like slaves? Are we a peculiar, peculiar people in terms of how we manage our time? Because here's what I'm convinced. If you... Take the rest of Jesus seriously. You will look borderline Amish to the Johnson County culture. Are you willing to do that? We're in the Mecca of 
child and family worship, perform, perform, perform. Do we stand out at all in how we create boundaries for our children to rest and enjoy themselves? Okay, that was heavy. Are we okay? We have a different problem than the problem people in Luke 6 have in interacting with Jesus, but it's the same problem. We have a new legalism, a new set of rules we think we must abide and keep, or else we have no identity, we have no rest, we have no hope, and we do it with work, we do it with performance, we do it with entertainment, we do it with a lot of other things. I think those are the three main things. And what Jesus is doing here in Luke 6, and certainly many of us do it in our religious legalisms, but what Jesus is doing here in Luke 6 is he's coming and saying, just stop. Your rules are terrible. And I'm better than your rules. And he would say the same to us. What you think you have, your kids have to do, don't. What you think you have to do in work, don't. What you think you have to do just to distract yourself, don't. The Sabbath undermines our life as we know it. So point two, the Sabbath is Jesus. And it's really important because what I, what I feel the tension in this, this sermon this morning is the 24 hours are really important. And yet, if you have the 24 hours without Jesus, you don't have a Sabbath. It's not about the hours. It's about Jesus. But I think you need the hours as well. And so I, I want to be as practically helpful as I can um, for you in thinking about how to begin to implement this in your life at a very basic level. So I'm going to try so three, three ways, three things to think about when it comes to the Sabbath and Jesus being Sabbath. The first is that the Sabbath is the gift of no. So it began by quoting from the Burnout Society, which was uh, by a German philosopher I men- uh, mentioned. Uh, and it's largely a very depressing book with no hope. It's basically like things are awful. Um, and which is sort of what you'd expect from a German philosopher. But um, he connects our extraordinary increases in depression, anxiety, burnout to our busyness. And he really only offers one piece of practical, practical uh, help in terms of how to stop it. And here's what he says. This is the one piece of practical advice he gives. You must say no. But what Hans says, what makes that so difficult for us is we are convinced that we can be everything. We don't have to say no. So your identity can contain an amazing career and nonstop kids' activities. Endless entertainment objects or options and constant accessibility to the world through our smartphones. Great community and friendship and plenty of time and leisure and a house that's always perfectly clean. And don't forget, you have to work long enough to pay for all of this. And the beauty of the Sabbath is Jesus comes to us and says, you don't have to do all this. And I will never ask you to. So step one of practicing the Sabbath in your own life, number one step, name your 24 hours of no. For me, it's Friday evening until Saturday evening. And so unless you are dying in a hospital, I'm not calling you back. And even then I might call you back and be like, you know, do you you have four hours left? That's a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. Um, But the first step is to name those 24 hours and say no. For you, it might be today, Sunday. If you're in the service industry, it might be a different day. It's because of, of the way those, those rhythms work. But name your 24 hours. And listen, I recognize how difficult this is, the work demands you have, the kids' schedules you have to manage, which is why I say you're going to have to be borderline Amish to actually do this. 
But at the end of the day, you're going to say no to one of two things. You're either going to say no to our culture of burnout, hurry, anxiety, and depression, which is destroying us. I mean, to the point, like truly, psychologists, sociologists, they're concerned about what we're doing to ourselves. You're either going to say no to that and yes to the rest of Jesus, or you're going to say no to the rest of Jesus and yes to this culture of anxiety, hurriness, and busyness. You can't say yes to both things. And it's going to create hard no's in your life. And so I know what the big question is. Okay, so Tim, help me understand how do I know what to say no to? Help me understand what is permissible and what is not permissible. So I create a list of 39 things. For you. I'm glad you got that. I was really afraid that when I said that, people would be like, all right, number, number one, I'm ready. No, like you get the problem that I'm, I'm going into. The moment I start saying, here's how you know what to say yes to, what to say, I'm get, we're in legalism. And Jesus is like, he's just like, stop it. That's not helpful. And the reality is what's rest for some of you is not rest for others. So one of my Sabbath practices is I, I own the cleaning of the dishes and the kitchen cleaning on the Sabbath day. One, because I actually enjoy it um, on the Sabbath. But two, um, my wife does not. She, that's what she does most of the week. And then thirdly, like if for once in the week, because so much of my life is just it's a mess and it never gets resolution. Like just the world is a mess. And as a pastor, it's hard to like find like, oh, like God did that, and this is the thing he did. But when I clean the kitchen, it's a mess, and then I can see cleanliness. I can see resolution. So that's actually a gift to me. From some of you, though, you should stop touching dishes on the Sabbath. Don't do them. It's okay. They can actually not be done for 24 hours, and guess what? You can do them after that. It's okay. I can't tell you what is yes or no to, but I'll say two things, two, two, two frameworks um, to help you. The first being what I already said, which is the moment you start creating lists and rules, you're creating legalisms that are not helpful. That's not, that's not what we're after. But two, this, the point of saying no to things is not just to say no for yourself. It's to say no that you see, so that you can say yes to Jesus. My biggest fear from this sermon is that we'll, you'll take this practice and then be, like, just make a day about your family. It's not, what this, it's not what the Sabbath is about. It's a day of worship and community with God's people. Right? It's not about the nuclear American family and, and you having some family time. That's not what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is to say no to outside forces in the world so you can say yes to Jesus. And here's the, here's the brutal truth, is that today, the first no that typically comes from our culture is to the church and to the worship of Jesus and yes to the world in its ways. And until that's reversed, I don't, I don't see... Christians looking much different than the world around us of an anxious, hurried, busy people. And yet, hear my warning against legalism in that, okay? I'm not, there's unique realities we all face, and I'm sensitive to those. But until you name 24 hours of no, guarded for the worship of Jesus, which could be in this room, could be with other, it's, whatever that is, until we guard that, we're just like a world of anxious, busy, hurried people. So first, the Sabbath is a gift of saying no. And listen, that's a, when you say no to people, it feels really good. Because you're carving out time for Jesus to restore you. Second, the Sabbath is the gift of feasting. I think one of the reasons why Jesus picks the rule of the grain uh, in particular is because the Sabbath is not a day to go hungry. It's not a fasting day. The first Sabbath day was the seventh day of creation. And most theologians point out what God does when he steps back from those six days of work is he delights in, in his work. This is very good. This is good. And one of the best ways for us to step back from God's work and say this is very good is to imbibe the very good through drinking and eating. So step two, the, the way to practice your Sabbath is feast on God's goodness. 
Yes, I'm saying practice the Sabbath by eating a really great meal or multiple meals. Get yourself a big old supply of Sabbath sprinkles and dump them on whatever you want to dump them on. But not just for, for its own sake, but because that is a sign of God's goodness. His rich, full creation, which he's given to you. Whatever fills you with the goodness and joy of God, do that. For me, part of what that is is music. Music points me to the beauty and the creativity and the glory of God's creation. Food does that. Drink does that. Whatever, whatever points you to the goodness of God's creation, do it on the Sabbath. Feast on God's goodness. I'd encourage you, like the, only, like the next step, later today, create a list of all the things that point you to the goodness and graciousness of God. Write a list and make that the thing you start doing on your Sabbath, those things. And then third and finally, the Sabbath is the gift of being restored. I know I should, probably shouldn't do this. Like if I, my seminary professors were here, they would probably crush me for saying this. But uh, the man with the withered hands, I just look at that and I think that's us. We are withered away people. Our culture is a withered away people. Short with one another, angry with one another, burned out with one another. And my favorite moment of all this passage, uh, in, in this whole passage, is when Jesus goes to heal this guy. We read that he looked around at all of them. And I just sense this moment of Jesus look, like, guys, what are we doing? This guy's hand is broken, and I can fix it. Why wouldn't we do that? And I think Jesus would look at us and say, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to do everything you're doing. I'm not asking you to. I, don't I know you can't do it. I don't want you. I'm trying to take this from you. You're withered away. And he just looks at us and says, can I, can I heal you? Can I restore you? Which is why, if you hear anything from me this morning, hear this. The Sabbath is not first about 24 hours. It is first about the person of Jesus restoring you to the humanity and the person he wants you and expects you and is making you into being. That's what he cares most about, is restoring your full humanity. As so thinking and meditating on the Sabbath this week, I began to think, you know, most of, most of the times when I disobey God's command, it's like, it's pretty obvious why I'm doing that. Right, so the command to be generous. It's like, well, I have money and I want to spend it on myself. And here's the thing I want to buy. I don't want to do this. I'm going to spend it. It's like, that makes, listen, I'm not defending that. I'm just saying it makes sense, right? When I'm angry with someone else because they said something to me, that makes sense, right? They, they, they said something that was hurtful. I have a right to be angry. That and, you know, going and sinning in anger, like that makes sense. But I have to confess that like disobeying the Sabbath doesn't make sense. God says to us, you are not a slave. Take a day off from work. And we're like, nah, I think, Jesus, this Saturday I will overcome my existential angst if I just put in a few extra hours. God says to us, listen, I want to I give you a day of feasting on my good creation. And we're like, nah, I think there's a half-eaten granola bar under my kid's car seat. I'll just eat that. Some of you are like, I've done that. It's <laughs> confession. God says, you're burned out. You're anxious. Let's rest together. Let me restore you. And we're like, no, nah, I'm good. I've got my own way. I cannot say this for you. I'll only say this for me. I think the Sabbath is, is maybe the greatest test of whether or not I actually trust God. To step away from all of the things I'm trying to prove myself by, my kids, my work, my life. And to say, God, without you, I don't, I don't have anything. 
And so I step away from everything to the one person who is everything to me. And so we hurry, right? All the while there's this person, Jesus, who's available to us, a person who does not put unrealistic expectations on you, who knows that you have to say no to things and is okay with that, who doesn't want you to be anxious or hurried or worried or distracted. In fact, hear his words to you. The message, the way Eugene Peterson translates Matthew 11, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus just wants a day with you. Not to lay burdens on you, not to show you all the ways you're doing it wrong, but to restore you, to heal you. And he is so committed to you, he actually carved a day into the universe to restore you. I hope you'll take it. Let's pray. Father, it'd be really easy for me, for anyone in this room, to take this, this message of a Sabbath rest and immediately do what the Pharisees did with it, which is create rules and legalisms that destroy us as much as our culture of hurry and busyness. And so, God, would you first just protect us from that? And then once we're protected from that, would you open our eyes to the rest the Lord of the Sabbath is offering us? To take our withered, anxious, hurried, busy lives and to restore us. God, would you do it even now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.